0: Hey Humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 260, and I had a conversation with Nelson Tressler. He is the author of the book The Unlucky Sperm Club. And his story is wild. Conceived during a violent act, born into chaotic circumstances. He uh, navigated his life in really interesting ways to come out the other side, determined to succeed and to help others do the same. He's the CEO and founder of I Got Smarter app. And he tours around and talks to people who maybe are not happy with where they are in their life or where they came from and helps direct their energies as to where they're going and help them find the pathways uh, to being a successful whatever that means to the individual uh, in their life. Really interesting guy, very open and honest about his story. And it, oh boy, twists and turns. Let me tell you, it's it's one that's like a screenplay where you're listening to the story and you think that can't all happen to one person. But it did happen to Nelson. Social media, Hey Human Podcast can be found on Facebook and Twitter. You can email me, Susan, at Podcast.com. While you're thinking of heyhumanpodcast.com, go to the website. You'll find a links page. Uh, There'll be information about all my guests that I've ever had on the show, where to find them, things they've written about, articles that we've talked about, obscure things. Who knows? There's all sorts of links on there. And you will find Nelson's there, along with everybody else's, and uh, it's there's a lot of really great deep dive. If you feel like rabbit holing one day, that is the spot to do it. There on that links page, you'll also find merchandise for sale at the store. Hey, human merch t-shirts and pencil cases and masks and hats and oh my so definitely check that out it's a great way to support hey human another great way to support hey human is to rate and review the show on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts but most especially itunes because it's a bear of an algorithm and we're you know it's trying to trying to push that show up through the through the noise so definitely do that takes a couple minutes and i really appreciate it Susanruth.com. If you want to know more about me and the other things I do besides the podcast, you'll find a mailing list that you can sign up for, stuff about art and music and any acting I might be doing. And it's also a place you can find where people have interviewed me. So I've been on a few podcasts and you can find those episodes there as well. If you like music, check out Susan Ruth on iTunes or Spotify. I'm in both places. And that's about it. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Um, This is quite a story. So buckle your seatbelts. And uh, here we go. Nelson Tressler, welcome to Hey Human.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, Susan. I appreciate it.
0: It's good to see you. I like your uh, bat that's a real background is it not
1: That's real yeah yeah Yeah. my my partner's like a a perfectionist so one one weekend I went away and I came back and he had built out an entire room for uh, the podcast so
0: I love it I like the brick it's very cool yeah yeah well welcome to the show Uh, you have quite the history and I'm sure you've told this story a billion times but guess what you get to tell it again. Where did you grow
1: up? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, central Pennsylvania. Um, You know, I was, uh, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 15 years old. While she was pregnant with me, her father, who was the local trash collector in this small town, drove into the town square. There he spotted two police officers He stuck a gun out the window and opened fire on those police officers, killing one and critically wounding the other. Eventually, he was captured and brought to stand trial where he was facing the death penalty. And uh, during his uh, murder trial, my mom got up and testified to the jury that the reason that uh, her father had shot and killed that police officer was that that police officer had raped her and she was now pregnant with me. Um,
0: when, when that happened, I assume then that your mom went to her father said this happened, obviously he wouldn't have known to go after the police officer. Uh, what, what was around that, around their relationship with that? Do you know? I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, well, what, what I will say, and, and, and I've put this all in a book, the unlucky sperm club. Uh, and there's a lot of twists and turns uh, as far as uh, who my father is. And actually, as I sit here today, I don't I don't know who my father is. I thought I did for the longest time, and then um, you know the DNA test come out, and all of a sudden now uh, it's in flux. So I'm still trying to figure that out. So, uh, but yeah my my mom my mom testified to save her father's life because he was facing the death penalty. And it, it actually, you know, her testimony worked. Uh, the first trial ended in a hung jury because of what she had said. Uh, the second, the second trial ended with my grandfather being sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And now, you know, he's sent away to prison. He's left behind. My mom had 15 brothers and sisters. And now me in this small little town in Pennsylvania to kind of deal with all the, uh, you know, all the consequences of what he had done.
0: Your grandfather went on the run after he did it. Yeah.
1: He, he he went on the run for a little bit. He, he ended up getting captured and and brought to stand trial. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I think it was a few days until they caught him.
0: I feel like most people listening would think justice was served when your grandfather shot the man who raped his daughter. You
1: know? Yeah. And again, um, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of twists and turns in that story. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that that's ever, ever the, you know, the the way to do anything. I mean, that police officer uh, was 29 years old and had five small children.
0: So. I'm not saying that it isn't does not leave after effects. I'm just saying I can understand the where his headspace was. In sure. that moment, so now, Mom is pregnant, and with you, mm-hmm. what happens uh, next? How's the upbringing for you?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, I'm born to a fifteen year old mother, and eventually, you know, a few years into it, uh, she turns twenty one and she comes across this peach of a man in a bar and come to find out that he is a very uh, abusive uh, and alcoholic. Uh, he soon becomes my stepfather. Uh, and, uh, pretty much every day, uh, he's either beating me or my mom, uh, in quick succession. They have four children together. And because of the lifestyle that they're living, a lot of the basic needs of my siblings fall upon me as being the oldest has a huge uh, detrimental effect on my life. Um, I remember going to the, the last day of fourth grade and looking down at my report card, you know, all excited about who I'm going to get for fifth grade. If I'm going to be in class with my buddies and I see straight F's on my report card. And I realize that I'm not going on to fifth grade. I'm repeating fourth grade. You know, the next year I get placed into special ed to try to get the help that I need. I can't read. I can't write. I can't spell. Come to find out I have dyslexia. So I was going through a lot of that, but then one day, you know, my, my stepfather's walking home drunk from a bar. There's somebody else driving home drunk from that bar and they end up hitting and killing him. And it's at this time, here's my mom. She has five small children now. She's dropped out of school in the eighth grade. She's never worked outside of the home. And as rough as her life has been to this point, and it's it's been very bu- brutal for her, losing my stepfather pretty much left her with no hope. And she decided that she was going to take her own life. And fortunately, she was not successful. But when she got out of the hospital... It was at that time that she determined that she wasn't going to be able to care for all five kids on her own. And that's when our family got split up. And that's when I went to go live with my grandmother, who was the wife of the man who shot and killed the police officer.
0: How was your grandmother kind to you?
1: Oh my! My grandma was a saint. Uh, you know, my biggest fan uh, fr- from as young as I can remember. She was always telling me, "Nelson, you're going to make something out of your life." And you know, she told me that so often, and I loved her so much. I think a lot of my drive of of eventually becoming uh, successful in life came from the fact that she believed so strongly that I was going to do something.
0: I'm curious if your teachers in grades one through four noticed the fact that you were under so much stress. I mean, I know that that was a time when teachers were not involved the way they are now, but did anyone take you aside and say, is everything okay at home?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I was absent a lot because my mom would rather me stay home and help her with the kids. So I think there was a lot of that, but there was one teacher, uh, Mrs. White, and I actually had her for uh, my second time at fourth grade. And she ended up actually going up to fifth grade the following year. So I had her for two years in a row and she loved me. And I think she realized what was going on. She, you know, I I was not the best student uh, by any means. I wasn't the best behaved. Uh, So she put her, she put my desk right next to her desk and kind of kept an eye on me and took me under her wing and uh, owe a lot to her for sure.
0: I love that. Thank you, Mrs. White. Uh, When you compared yourself to other kids, was there an understanding? You said you grew up in a small town. So were there other, was there a lot of kids like you or were you the fish out of water child?
1: Well, I, w- I was always labeled as that kid, I mean, with what my grandfather had done and what my mom testified to. So I always had to deal with that. Uh, very, uh, you know, a lot of poverty in my home, like no food in the fridge, poverty, the lights didn't turn on when you hit the switch a lot of the times. So I was dealing with that. I wasn't the best dressed, probably didn't have the best hygiene. So I was dealing with a lot of those things in elementary school and eventually, um, you know, until I went to go live with my gram where a lot of that stopped. But yeah, I, I never felt, I always felt broken, you know, at that young age and felt like I was damaged goods.
0: So you understood that you were the product of this, this situation.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was out there. I was told that, um, from an early age, uh, I mean, and, and it was being brought up. I mean, people were always asking you know, are you related to the the guy who shot and killed the police officer? And then, you know, I don't I don't know if they expected me to to be related to them or or, or what because it was always awkward after I had to say, oh yeah, yeah that that that's that was me.
0: Did you encounter again small town? Did you encounter the the kids of the officer in your day to day?
1: No, I think they moved away after, uh, after it happened to get away from that town. But, you know, my, my family was too poor and to, to move away.
0: Sure. That makes sense. You were having this great interaction with a couple of teachers and then your grandmother where you were starting to feel loved and supported and the tides, I assume began to change. As you said, do you set yourself with a goal? And I believe you had mentioned, um, in, I don't know if it was in a bio I read or, or an interview that I watched, that you would be the first to go to college.
1: Yeah. So one day, uh, a counselor came from the local university and talked about, here are the things you got to do to get into college. And that's when I start. you know, about that same time, I was reflecting upon my life and where I was heading. And I remember thinking to myself, geez, if, if I could attend college, you know, after that, my life would be perfect forever. And that was my mindset. And, you know, as soon as you start telling yourself you're going to do something hard, you know, that voice in the back of your head starts screaming at you all the reasons you shouldn't even attempt it. And I remember saying, you know, yeah, I want to go to college. And then I remember thinking, Nelson, you're in special ed, you can't read, you can't write, you have dyslexia. You know, of my mom's 15 brothers and sisters, two had ever graduated from high school, none had ever gone to college. But, You know, I had nothing better to do. I saw where my life was heading and I didn't like it. So I started to uh, do my best and do all the things that I thought would get me into college. It took 12 years after setting that goal. It took four different universities. It took four years in the United States Air Force. But eventually, I did become that first person to graduate from college.
0: That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. How did you come to terms with the dyslexia? What did you do to overcome that?
1: I struggle with it every day. I mean, I, I mispronounced uh, somebody's name today on 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 our my podcast. So it's something that I have to really focus on and and uh, work at. But yeah, it affects me every single day. It, it hasn't gone away. I mean, I definitely can read and and I don't know if I can spell better. I'm I'm so glad there's spell check on the computer and grammar C. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's still a struggle today.
0: Yeah. Did you? Turned to drugs or alcohol in your childhood as a coping mechanism?
1: Never drugs, never did a drug. I always knew that led somewhere I never wanted to, to go. So never did drugs, definitely drank a lot. Uh, that was just part of uh, the lifestyle of where I grew up, was around it my entire life. But, you know, fortunately, um, you know, once I got married and, and started making some changes in my life, I, I don't even drink anymore.
0: Was there an understanding since you were hit as a kid that you were not to do that as an adult? I'm always curious about people that are able to stop the cycles of that. Yeah, and how yeah. you come to terms with it. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, I saw, I saw what was going on with alcohol in my family and in and in my town, and I saw how it destroyed people's lives, and uh, that wasn't something that I wanted for me, uh, and and I'm. So much more productive because I didn't do it, and, and I wasn't, you know, there's not a lot of social drinkers there. It was like you were getting drunk to uh, get drunk, and um, I didn't want that for my life or my family.
0: How did your view of yourself change from childhood to young adulthood, maybe on the precipice of knowing you were going to go to college, having this history? How did you learn self esteem in that? Because it does take. Again, I understand the voices in your head. We all have them. Even the most successful, the most affluent, whatever, everybody's got that voice. I I feel like it's just to oh, different yeah. degrees. Uh, how did you learn to be partners with that voice and tell it to shut the heck up? You know.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing. Once I graduated from college, it was like mind blowing to me that somebody like me, somebody who came from where I came from, that couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't spell, had dyslexia. I graduated from college from setting that goal. And that after I graduated from college, I became obsessed with goals and personal development. And I really saw the potential that was lying dormant inside of me. And that that's the amazing thing with goals is they kind of show you that potential in you, what you have, the, the capability of becoming. And once I realized that geez, I, I could do this. What else could I do with goals and personal development? I started to use goals in every area of my life, You know, my relationships, my health, you know, financial, lifestyle, all of that. And I realized that I could really design a life that I couldn't have dreamed of before just through living life with purpose. And that's what goals and personal development helped me do over the last 20 years. And then I just started to believe in myself. I realized, you know what? Most people aren't smarter than me. Most people, you know, don't have better skills. You know, I can do this if I just put my mind to it and come up with a plan and do it. And I think once you show somebody that potential that's inside of them, they're never going to be the same again.
0: Do you use a visualization of seeing yourself already achieving the goal on the other side when you set those parameters? Is it a list? How do you go about that?
1: You know what? It was such a big deal in my life. I actually have come up with a program and an app called I Got Smarter, and it's a goal achievement app. And all all of what I've learned over the last 20, 25 years of doing goals and achieving goals, I've built into this program and this app. But yeah, definitely one of the things that strategies that I use is I review my goals and my goals all sound as if they've already happened and they're all in the positive affirmation. So it's never I want to lose weight. It's always I weigh, you know, it's January 1st and I weigh 185 pounds by taking in 1500 calories and working out three days a week. That's a great goal, as a as opposed to a lot of people say. You know, I, I want to lose some weight. Well, you lose a pound, okay? You lost some weight. There's a lot that you have to kind of trick your mind with, but that those po- positive affirmations definitely help.
0: Well, something you just said there was quite interesting. You said work out three times a week, cut the calories to. It's the three days a week I thought was interesting because I think a lot of people will set a goal. That there's no way to accomplish. They're like, I'm going to work out seven days a week. Three hours a day i'm going to only eat radish, you know whatever it is, yeah. and that's just setting oneself up for failure, of course
1: yeah, and and that's another thing that our program I got smarter does is it lets you know what price you have to pay to achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. You know what you need to do, so you, you've got to become crystal clear on that, and if you're not, I mean, and another thing is your goals have to be realistic i mean you're not going to lose 90 pounds in a week by doing whatever. So it's getting crystal clear on what your goals are. And I Got Smarter is actually an acronym for our program. And each one of those letters stands for something that, you know, we're going to show you the the concepts and the philosophies of how you can achieve any goal. Once you, you know, once you're crystal clear on it.
0: Let's talk about love. You said you got married, Yeah. I imagine for somebody who grew up with one idea of what love looks like, how did you come to figure out, assuming you're in a successful loving relationship, how did you come to the other side of that? That's that's, that's that's the Moses in the Red Sea sometimes, you know?
1: And it was, I mean, in, in my book, The Unlucky Sperm Club, I talk a lot about my relationship with my wife and the struggles. I really pull back the curtain because I think there's so many people out there that see somebody who's been able to achieve some sort of success and they think that it was easy or it happened overnight. So in my book I wanted to really show, hey, I had tons of struggles. And I talk about me and my wife. One of the one of the biggest things that I had coming from my background was I had these unrealistic expectations. Like I didn't have a family that I wanted, you know, that I lived in that I wanted to have. So I had this Stepford wife type family. And I wanted my wife to live up to that. You know, I was coming home, I was doing well in business. So I was providing and you know, she was driving a car, she didn't have to work. She had a beautiful home. So I'm like, I'm doing my share. And then I would come home and, you know, we have three sons and I'd expect my wife to meet me there with an apron on and all fixed up and my three well manicured sons setting at a seven course meal. And when that wasn't happening, and I'm like, you know, you're not pulling your share. I'm doing all this. And so I had those unrealistic expectations and uh, we separated a couple of times. We went through a lot of counseling, but the one piece of advice that really changed our marriage was I, I replaced those expectations with appreciation. I couldn't figure out everyone loved my wife at this time, except me. And I'm like, what are these people seeing? Because, you know, everyone loved her. And the reason that, you know, I didn't at that time was I had these expectations and I was disappointed with, you know, her efforts and all that. But as soon as I switched that over and I started to look at her and appreciate how great she really was that was the total difference. And we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, I'm more in love, you know, today than I've ever been.
0: I think that that too brings up a good point of meeting people where they are.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And, and I definitely was not in the right spot then. And, you know, we were young, too. and, And we have so much to learn. I have a son that's getting married next month. And those are some of the things that I'm telling him is like, you know, we don't even know what we don't know, but you know, you go in this with some strategies and you love them and, and you're willing to appreciate their flaws and grow together. I mean, none of us are the same people we were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And as I said here, after 25 years of marriage, we're totally different people and and we're we're much more like each other because we've grown and and developed our own family culture and relationship culture. And it just sometimes it takes time and it takes patience.
0: What do you think was what kept you from completely divorcing? You said you separated a couple of times. And I think a lot of couples do that. They throw throw up their hands and and it's easier to just say you know what this isn't doing it how did you keep from that happening
1: you know what one of my biggest goals in life is i want to celebrate my 50th wedding anniversary and so i always had that goal of having that family that i never had growing up and i had three you know even though at sometimes i didn't love my wife i loved my boys and i never wanted to you know, I never wanted them to have to go through a broken family like I did. And it's, you know, it scared me to death that my wife would marry somebody else another step, you know, and they would have a stepfather that treated them like my stepfather treated me. So uh, I think there were a lot of things at play there and, and we always loved each other. We just didn't know how to do it. And I, again, I go through this in my book. There there were some divine things that I feel like kind of happened there that would that, that kept us at ad- together and and made us realize this.
0: Can you name one or
1: Yeah, I mean there were a few. So, um we we hung out with a a couple that had kids that were our age and when we met this couple the the husband had just really uh mirac- miraculously recovered from cancer. Like they had given him the last rites and he ended up surviving. And I just you know we hung out with him like every weekend one summer after he had done that. and I just would see how much he appreciated what he had because of what he had gone through and his wife and his children. and we just saw that. and what that opened our eyes up to is, you know, just how how grateful we can be. And then eventually, his cancer came back and and he wasn't able to survive it. And I think we kind of realized that he would have given anything to be in our position, to be able to try to make it work and, and have that family. And every time that we, we got into not appreciating what we have, I would think of him and what he would do to be in my position. So I think a lot of it is perspective, um, but I think that helped us a lot.
0: Do you see yourself and your kids a lot?
1: Uh yeah, too much of me in there in fact. Um yeah, that's the big joke. My my youngest son who's 15 years old is a trestler in and out and you know, I I see my attitude in him when I was 15 years old and his stubbornness and and all of that. But man, I'm so blessed to my my boys are such good boys and I, I you know, that's the that's what I love about goals is where I was when I was, you know, 18 or 19 years old, uh, you know, just just one generation by by one goal, you know, you talk about breaking that chain. And that's what I feel like goals have done for me. I mean, I look at my mom, my mom was 18 years old, uh, you know, a single mother, uh, you know, had a baby, you know, living a, a miserable life. And, you know, here is my son, just one generation later. I mean, he's, you know, graduated in the top of his class. He's got a division one scholarship and, uh, you know, all these things and all that changed with that one goal. And I think everybody can do that. And, and the great thing about goals is they don't just change your life. They change generations. And, uh, my family is living a drastically different life than I lived, you know, just one generation later.
0: Are you in communication with your extended family? The, the yeah. aunts and uncles and all, I mean, that's a lot of people, 15 <coughs> yeah.
1: people. Yeah, so I never moved back to that town after I joined the Air Force and went to college. Just there was too much baggage back there. But I but I go back there. My mom's still back there. I have a great relationship with my mom and my brothers and sister and my cousins and aunts. Yeah, I, I, I go back there at least once a year, you know, not this last year with COVID, but I'm planning on going back when it clears up.
0: How did you and your mother come to facilitate a better relationship than what it was? Or did, was it a thing where you never really held her to that because of it was sort of forced upon her?
1: You know what? I, I think when I was young, I, I resented her a lot because of some of the choices that she made and, and some of the perceived hardships that it caused me. But, you know, whenever my stepfather got killed, uh, my mom met another man. And, uh, he couldn't have been any different than what my stepfather was. And because of that, they, they've been married for over 35 years. Now, my mom is a totally different person now because, you know, she's not stuck in that. And I talk about that in my book, you know, addition by subtraction, sometimes, you know, something has to leave our lives for something better to come into it. And that's what happened with my mom. And my mom's a great mom. She's a wonderful grandmother, you know, totally different person. And, and that's another thing. We're, we're not, we don't have to let our past dictate our future. We're not always going to be the same person that we are. We have that ability to uh, get better.
0: It's an interesting book title, Unlucky Sperm Club, because, it seems to me that a person with your personality was destined to be here. And you say that you've helped, you know, facilitate other people to understand setting goals and, and achieving their goals. Uh, so unlucky. is
1: it? And you know what it's, it, that's the spin on it. It, the original title was going to be the Lucky Sperm Club because a lot of times I think people who are born in tough circumstances feel like it's not lucky. and But they see these other people who are born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they think they have all these opportunities and they're going to be successful because of where they were born into. But I wanted to sp- put a different spin on that and say, you know what, the Unlucky Sperm Club, be, being born into rough circumstances is actually, I think, helps people succeed better if they use that fuel and, and those experiences and, and everything that they've learned growing up in those tough circumstances. I think that's a greater advantage than being born into comfort. Was there
0: religion in your family growing up?
1: No, there, there was no religion growing up. Um, I mean, we weren't even Christmas and Easter uh, religious, I think. And I, again, I talk about that in my book, Uh, you know, we, we kind of figured God left us alone. So we were going to leave him alone type of thing. What about now? Yeah. I'm very religious now. Um, um, Give thanks for, you know, to the Lord for, for everything. And I love having that in my life to, you know, lead and guide me in raising my family. It's made a huge difference in my life, uh, given me those uh, standards and morals to, to live by that I didn't have growing up.
0: How did you cross that line from not having any faith to having faith?
1: Well, uh, we, we kind of had missionaries knock on our door and uh, you know, I, again, I talk about this in my book, you know, when religion comes knocking, um, I remember uh missionaries would come down our street as a kid and my gram everybody kind of sat on my gram's porch there were probably 15 or 20 people and as soon as they would see the missionaries at the top of our cul-de-sac it was like a military drill like everybody just you know ran put their blinds down closed their door And I came home one day and my wife uh, was sitting on the couch with a couple of uh, people who were out there preaching uh, the gospel. And I couldn't hide behind the couch because they were already in my house. And, you know, I decided to listen. And at first I didn't, you know, I never wanted religion in my life. I didn't need it. And eventually, uh, you know, I prayed about it and uh, my heart started to soften. I saw all the the benefits of it and what good men these guys were and what that was producing. And, you know, through their fruits, you'll know them. And I just saw some great guys and, and I I, I always wanted religion for my family, my eventual family. And it, uh, it worked out and, and it has made a huge difference in my life.
0: Were you scared to be a dad?
1: yeah I was in fact my wife kind of pushed that on me i I mean I was going through college still and hadn't had my degree and my wife just felt the urge that she needed to have a a kid and uh it was probably because uh they needed to get my oldest son out of heaven and down to earth because he was so active and and you know like that but yeah I mean what once I was uh I was scared because I didn't want to be the type of dad that I had been. Uh, exposed to. I was scared of all those things and that responsibility. I think any first time father goes through those, those thoughts and and concerns, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Now. I I love being a dad. I mean, my, one of my goals every year is to become the, the father of the year. Now I fall short every year, but, uh, that's, that's always one of my goals and I've got great relationships with my boys. We're buddies and, uh, yeah. One of the best parts of my life.
0: What's your wife like?
1: Uh, she's incredible. I mean, uh, my best friend, um, you know, she's uh, she's definitely she's kind of like uh, the, the the sweet and uh, salty uh, person. She's one of the sweetest people you want to meet, but uh, she doesn't take any uh, guff from anybody either. Uh, she's kind of the yin to my yang. She she evens me out. Uh, she's a great mother. Uh, loves her loves her kids. She loves helping other people, and you know that's kind of what she lives for. Is if there's somebody in need, she's gonna you know go buy them groceries. If she sees somebody walking, she's gonna pick them up. If she sees that you know somebody needs money for a fundraiser or something like that, she's the first one in line. So she's just that type of person.
0: Did you recognize that in her while you were still working on you when you came together in the beginning?
1: No, I think, I think my expectations for her were so high that I was kind of blinded by that. And I wasn't seeing any of the good stuff that everybody else was. I was just seeing where she was falling short.
0: And what about her for you when she met you? Here's this kid, basically, that grew up. I mean, that's a lot to take on in a relationship, especially as we mentioned before, the concept of what love is to somebody who grows up in an abusive household and then has to try and figure out and navigate the the healthy side of love. Yeah. And she she must have had a lot of patience for that too, I imagine.
1: Yeah, she did because you know, I, I brought a lot of baggage to that relationship emotionally. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that she was patient with me. I'm glad that, you know, we ended up working it out because, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that would have thrown their hands up uh, and uh, given up long before we were able to finally figure it out.
0: Yeah, I think this stuff's important to talk about because I, I do think these days people choose to give up quite quickly because it's hard work. Yeah. And the work isn't just outside of ourselves. It's really it starts completely with us. And of, I think it kind of ends with us, you know.
1: Yeah. It's a lot. You know what? That's one of the things I, I think about often is when I'm having a, a fun family event or me and my wife are doing something great. I'm so grateful that we worked it out because we would have forfeited all of that if we would have given up too soon and you know you always hear that story about the guy who had the gold mine in Colorado and he dug for 6 months and he didn't hit anything and he decided to give it up and go back to selling shoes or whatever and the next person who bought that mine you know dug for 3 feet and hit the biggest strike in Colorado history that's the way i think a lot of relationships are and one of the things i think is you you what i what kind of motivated me was When you see somebody who's divorced and they had kids and then they remarried somebody else who had kids, there was so much friction because of that broken family that they had to deal with. And my thought process was, you know, if I get married, we all have issues. I'm just going to have issues with, you know, two different people now. And one, I'm not going to have any leverage over. They're going to hate me. So we continued to just try to work it out. And and I'm so glad that we did.
0: You mentioned at the beginning of this about the, now there's questionable DNA evidence. Are you finding out that perhaps you're not the product of that circumstance?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't think I am, I, I but I don't know who my father is. So I can't, I'm trying to figure that out and trying to get some questions answered and haven't been able to track it down yet.
0: Are you using like a 23andMe or something? Or? Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's,
1: that's where I kind of came to this realization. And so now I'm trying to dig into there, but right now there's just not enough data to, to lead me in the right direction.
0: How do you feel about all that though? That's got to be a lot to, you know, an identity is a big deal.
1: Yeah. You know what though? Um, I, I never had a relationship with the person who I thought was my dad. Uh, so I didn't feel like I was missing out. Now I want to try to find out, you know, if If I can, who my dad is, maybe there is a relationship there. i'm um, I, I definitely would would uh, welcome that., uh, you know, I'm almost fifty years old, so but uh, I would welcome that, but but it's not I've lived my life, and you know, ha- going through these things, one of the one of the things that I, you know, things only have the meaning you're willing to give them, right? so I, I've given this a meaning is I didn't have a dad you know, quote, unquote, to kind of screw me up, you know, so I get to be the type of dad that I want to be. So I don't have that baggage. So I'm trying to be be the best dad that I can be. And if I didn't go through the, this circumstances and all that, maybe I wouldn't have that as a goal. And maybe I wouldn't be as good a dad as as I'm trying to be.
0: What do you think you, your mom being so young and religion wasn't a part of, of her family, then how do you think she chose to to keep you instead of aborting you? Certainly that must've been an option.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I think she was getting some pressure from my grandmother. Uh, so, and I, and I don't know, I don't know that that was an option for her. I, I think it was a kind of a lifestyle too, back then is a lot of uh, her sisters also had babies when they were teenagers. So I think that was just kind of the culture.
0: Sure those are your, those would be your cousins, right? I'm to, yeah. yeah be, cousin. are, you, are you friendly with your cousins then since you must've kind of grown up?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, it was like a big family. Uh, we, all, we all grew up on the same street. So every house was occupied by, uh, you know, a trestler member growing up on my Graham street. So it was, it was a pretty dynamic, uh, neighborhood. Oh, that
0: must've been fun.
1: It was fun, but you, as you can imagine, having so much family on the same street—you know, when kids fought, parents fought—and you you had kind of that. And you know, I, I haven't lived back there for 30 years now, uh, but when I when I go back, it's it's fun. But now the family's kind of spread out, and you know, cousins have have moved on and had kids and had kids. So now the family's a little more spread out than it was when I was growing up.
0: I can imagine the next Ryan Seacrest production, Tressler Street. And it's just uh, the, the shenanigans of it, all these different.
1: It would have it made a great movie or <laughs> sitcom, believe me.
0: <laughs> How can people find you for, you know, and get, get in touch with your workshop? You said you have the app and I know you have uh, your website, obviously, NelsonTressler.com. What else is a good way to.
1: Yeah, I mean, everything's on nelsontressler.com. You can go there. Uh, My book is available everywhere books are sold. The Unlucky Sperm Club. It's uh, Amazon and Audible. It's probably the easiest way to get it. And then I Got Smarter is uh, our goal achievement program and app. And that's available on uh, Apple and Android on the app stores.
0: Do you think much about when you're an old man on your deathbed, how you'll look back?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one of my goals. I want to be 130 years old, laying on my deathbed, surrounded by all my posterity and, and them looking down at me and uh, you know having nothing but good thoughts about me and about my life. And that's, that's what I try to do every single day is to achieve that goal eventually.
0: Yeah. That's a good way to go out. Yeah. 130 sounds a little old, but I'm with you. <laughs>
1: I got to shoot for something big, right? <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, what? with modern medicine in the next 50 years, you said you're almost 50, so it's quite possible that you could be a vibrant 130. I wish that for you.
1: <laughs> at least at least, be vibrant until I'm 120. I'll take a few years to slow down, I guess. But... Yeah,
0: well, you know, it's all good. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Susan. I appreciate Absolutely. it.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.